Thanks be to God. At our home, we know a few things. We know that the school semester for all three will be finished not on a school campus, but under the roof of my house. We know that there will be no college graduation for my oldest child, no official graduation. And we know that the job that she had already secured is not going to happen anytime soon. Essentially, at our house, we know what's not going to happen. But we don't know what will happen. And we've had several conversations around the question, now what? What do we do now? And we don't seem to get anywhere. It's just hard to plan. At the end of John's gospel, we get a story of the disciples living in uncertainty. Preacher Fred Craddock points out that this gospel is 21 chapters, and the first 12 chapters are about Jesus's public ministry. But the rest, the remaining nine chapters, are all a farewell. There's a farewell meal, and a farewell discourse, and a farewell prayer, and then the actual farewell. And then in chapter 21, in chapter 21, we get the now what? chapter. It's here that the disciples begin to figure out what their lives will look like, how they will continue when not much is clear or certain, and what their faith will look like when Jesus' physical life has come to an end. And so this story in turn tells us what we are to be about as followers of Jesus' way and how we continue on in uncertain times. Peter, pretty true to form, comes up with an impulsive idea. We can always count on Peter for that. Go fishing. It's quite possible that Peter is going back to the way things were before Jesus. Peter was a fisherman. He knew how to fish. And if you have to do something, why not do something you already know how to do? The other disciples agree to go with him. But did you notice that this is not a complete set of disciples? Of course, Judas is no longer there, but we don't have 11. We don't have anywhere close to 11 disciples. There are seven. And Barbara Brown Taylor says this may be a clue that things are beginning to come apart at the seams. It makes sense. It's difficult. It's difficult to stick together when things get tough. Fight or flight is the first instinct. Well, the seven fish all night and they catch nothing. Early in the morning, they hear a voice from the shore we know that it's Jesus, but the disciples don't know this. This friend calling out to the boat from the beach appears to be a fishing guide. Throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Throw your nets on the right side of the boat, he says. And this isn't an easy task because the fishing nets were large and cumbersome. They were heavy. 
Ryan Jacobson tells me that this strategy of throwing nets onto the right side of the boat wouldn't make sense because Galileans knew where to fish. They knew what area of the water to hit, right above the natural springs that feed the sea. If they switch sides of the boat, the fishermen will be casting their nets out into bigger, deeper waters, which is an absurd way to catch fish with a net. It won't happen. And I'm not interested, personally, in those deep, chaotic waters. It not only doesn't sound effective, it doesn't sound safe. And yet that's exactly where the miraculous catch is waiting, in deep chaos. Well, here's how Taylor describes the catch. The water begins to boil. All at once, so dense with fish that some of them are pushed right out of the water, their shiny fins glinting in the morning light. Can't you see it? It sounds like salmon in Alaska. And for the disciples, more than a night's worth of fishing is completed suddenly and exactly where they wouldn't expect for it to happen. They work to haul the net full of fish to the boat, and they work to tow that net to the shore, and then Peter struggles with the net, towing, hauling, drawing the net ashore. And New Testament scholar Gail O'Day wrote that for her, this is the key to unlocking this story, that John uses this word to haul three times in this story, to haul or to draw, and he only uses it a couple of other times outside of this story in the gospel. He uses it in chapter 6, verse 44, to describe those who come to Jesus from God. Jesus said in chapter 6, of John's gospel, no one comes to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. And then in chapter 12, Jesus says of himself, and I, when lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So this work of attraction that the Father and the Son have been about, drawing people to the truth, drawing people to good news, is now the work. It's now become the privilege of the disciples drawing in the nets. And I think that's exactly what Shane Claiborne was talking about in our video, that what we have is good news for crying out loud. It's not bad news. It's not just okay news. All things are being transformed into a new creation, pulling, hauling the best out of people is our job. We are to be life-giving, not life-sucking. And when our energy is life-giving, that looks good to people. It looks good to people when we do good for people. So our work then becomes drawing, pulling, hauling everything, ourselves included, to Jesus. A Methodist Bishop wrote this week, the Christian response today should be defined by sacrifice and service, certainly not by demanding our rights. Demanding our rights in a pandemic 
doesn't look like unshakable faith to outsiders. It looks like callous unconcern. An article titled, What Do Christians Do in a Plague? says that to focus on self rather than others is the basic orientation of sin. The traditional Christian response in an epidemic is clear. Serve, share, sacrifice, pray. In Rome in the year 260, disease was spreading uncontrollably. 5,000 people died in one day. People fled the city in droves. The common wisdom, the common logic, was if a loved one was sick, you would place food and water beside them and leave the city. But one group of people stayed in Rome, an often persecuted group. In fact, it was illegal to be a part of this group, the Christians. The Christians stayed and they cared for the sick and the dying in Rome. And it was a similar situation in the 1570s in Milan during the plague. Civil authorities fled the city. Christians stayed. They stayed in Milan. They put up a handful of altars. They celebrated mass. And they cared for the sick and the dying. Serve, share, sacrifice, pray. I don't want to be known for my whining and complaining. Or for my fear. I don't. There's a better way. And it'll look different for every one of us. The way that we serve, share, sacrifice, pray. And yet there will be something similar about every incarnation of serve, share, sacrifice, and pray. And that is that others will be drawn in. Jesus is already cooking breakfast on the beach before the disciples ever haul their nets to shore. He has a charcoal fire going, and that's the biblical clue for God is near and about to be made clear. An epiphany is happening here. The divine is present. The resurrected Christ is God, and Jesus doesn't need their catch for breakfast. He asks the disciples for food, but in the end, he gives them food, and there is plenty. It's fish and bread on the menu, and this is reminiscent of the feeding of the 5,000 that happened very close by. The disciples eating breakfast on the shore with the resurrected Christ is a reminder. It's a promise, even, that we will be surprised by abundance. In a time when I am continually surprised by scarcity, I need this promise. In a time when I see empty shelves, empty parking lots, an empty social calendar, I need this promise. The promise that I will be surprised by abundance. At the very beginning of this gospel, we get this testimony. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So what do we do now? What do we do now? We lean on our memory of past grace. We give freely. 
and we wait with expectation for the grace to come. Pray with me. Graceful, living God, we are not alone. We live in a world that is powered by your inspiration and your life. With grateful hearts, we seek to be a part of your life-giving order. Reveal to each of us ways that we can serve and share and sacrifice and pray. Because we want, we seek to be catchers of your grace. Would you fill our nets full? We ask this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.